Here we go. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> Hi, Aileen. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Uh, this is episode 51 of Professional Humans uh, podcast, and we're still here talking about um, race and bias uh, at work and how to navigate uh, some of the things that come up. Uh, today with our guests, um, Ryan and Bruce, who were on, um, it's been a couple of months ago now, as part of the big group we had to kick off this um, this topic. So bringing Ryan and Bruce back together to have a conversation here today, um, and really excited to dive into this. So before we get too far into the topic that we want to crack open today, I have a question for everybody on, which is, let's see, we're about 10 days out from a pretty important uh, election, right? So um, there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of conversation given that our um, president very recently just went on to a debate and refused to denounce um, white supremacy. I feel like there's still a ton of race relation information in the news. Um, and it's still very top of mind for people. And one of the things we talked about when we were together a couple of months ago is, is this conversation um, uh, going to die out? Are we going to lose momentum? And we were all worried about that. Um, so I'm seeing in the news, you know, still a lot of, uh, it's still very top of mind for people. However, when I go over to LinkedIn and see conversations there, I see a lot of conversations where people are saying, okay, we've lost our momentum. Nobody's talking about this. If anybody's still talking about it, those are just the people that were serious about it to begin with. So I'm just looking for, you know, what is everyone's experience with that? Does it feel like we're losing momentum or does it feel like we're just full steam ahead on this? Well, I would say that when we talk about race relations, there's this very kind of like linear progression when we think about race relations. And a lot of it's rooted in kind of how the civil rights movement is taught. Um, there was a civil war, emancipated, uh, ended slavery. Um, then there was Jim Crow, that was bad. And then there was the civil rights movement. That was amazing. We integrated as a society. And then down the line, Obama got elected. So we have this view on like race relation conversation where it's like, okay, we are making progress and we are constantly getting better. But I like, I feel like on the ground, it goes through these iterative cycles where there's a major incident, which in our time is really police brutality um, that's exacerbated by some economic forces that are going on, which we look at as like COVID-19 and the very high unemployment we're seeing as a result, as well as how it's disproportionately affecting people. And as a result, that brings it back to the forecenter of people's minds. Um, but then that needs to soak in, like people need to like think about that, they need to process it. And then gears need to start changing I mean, changing, turning for that to kind of result in major policy implications. So I feel like we're in the soaking period where we had that kind of bang moment where a lot of people go like, okay, this is very clearly a problem. 
and we need to address it. But now we're in the process of people are like, okay, how do I address it? And I think we see this especially, particularly when we talk about police brutality, along the various many movements regarding, okay, what's the solution to that? Is it reform the police, defund the police, abolish the police, um, evolve the police, uh, replace the police? I heard one later that was said, just stop using the term police. Um, so I think it, it really, it, it, it follows a cycle and I think it's gonna come back again when we think about the election, but more importantly, when we think about climate change. Because with global temperatures rising, that's also gonna disproportionately affect people along racial and economic lines. That's also gonna cause a huge migration of people across the country and across the world which will really force people to start thinking about, okay, what is race relations? And how do we make progress in these very difficult situations and become a more equitable society? I guess that's kind of my opinion on it. But this is something I think about actively because I'm black and yeah, it's, I have to deal with it every day one way or another. Right. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, you know, um... I think that in in my workplace the the momentum has continued, but what what I have noticed is um, kind of a concerning trend of starting to lump things like mm -hmm. race relations all together into this like umbrella of politics, mm -hmm. and then using that label to make it something that shouldn't be discussed at work or something that's uncomfortable for, uncomfortable for point. people to discuss at work. Mm -hmm. And that, that has been um, somewhat disturbing to me because mm -hmm. I, I think that, and it, part of it is probably this current political climate where you know, we have a um, president who has made these things um, made things like race relations, central campaign issues, when that maybe in the past would not have been a campaign issue in the modern, let's say modern politics, in the same way. And now it seems that um, it, it became kind of because of that, like a amping up the rhetoric, the negative rhetoric around things like race has become like um, a badge of honor for some people in the political world. Mm, and that that's disheartening to me because, you know, in the workplace, we want to have these really productive conversations about what we can do better. And we want to open that up to everybody in, in these broader teams to say, hey, really, we really want everybody to, to play a role in this. We want everybody to be a part of how we can improve this. We want you to feel comfortable to um, say openly where, where you are in your journey, where you need help so that we can help you with that. Um, and then we hear sometimes that people feel uncomfortable being quote unquote conservative in that environment. And that to me is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> when did, when did in this environment, in this workplace, when did um, racial equality, when did um, something like marriage equality, which is relevant to me, 
when did that become a controversial issue in, issue in this workplace when we've said in this workplace mm -hmm. that we have specific stances on equality in those places? So that, that kind of willingness to lump it together as this thing to be able to dismiss it, um, I've noticed and, and that, that's been disturbing. Mm. I, I, I kind of want to add to that. Oh. No, go ahead. So I just wanted to jump in because something that you said particularly about how the, for lack of the word, for lack of a better term, politicizing of like different topics of equality when we think about um, sexual orientation, when we think about race and other, and how that's been kind of like turned into political factions. Like, I agree with that 100%. And I do think it makes it difficult to have a dialogue in the workplace or even outside of the workplace, because it's interesting seeing how a person who identifies as conservative now has all these opinions they may not necessarily agree with, but because we're so afraid of having the discussion, we have this like, perception they have these opinions that they don't have and the same thing applies to the left like I know plenty of um, African Americans for example who want to advance the cause of civil rights and just that and don't really view it as inclusive of people of different sexual orientations and I personally have a problem with that but that's their stance but the whole liberal conservative divide makes it seem like we're not as diverse or we're not as complex human beings as we are, as we kind of rally to this like red and blue flag that I don't think anyone fully agrees with either flag right now or knows what either really means at the end of the day. I don't think so either. <laughs> it's all very confusing. So it, it in some, what I'm hearing is that in some cases it's been sort of repackaged and rebundled and then swept back under the rug. And then mm. in some cases it has been, it's almost weaponized. Mm. That it, like, at least politically, it seems like the conversation is, is, is weaponized. It's a platform. Very much. Yeah. So. I would yeah, say I, go ahead, Eileen. What I was going to um, add to your original question or answer and then add to this conversation is I'm totally tracking with both of you. And then I recently went into downtown Minneapolis. And at a macro level, what we're talking about, like I'm there. And then you have this like really human experience. And I'm like, I'm so sad for Minneapolis. And it feels like an open wound. Mm -hmm. And so there's like these platitudes to your point, Ellie, that is you know, either weaponizing us or constricting us way up here at the macro level, at the party level, at this flag level that all of us feel sort of left out of. Um, and then Minneapolis is still seemingly just this raw spot that hasn't really gotten the, the critical thought and solutions that you would think it would have as the epicenter, you know, the like the break point um, that sort of has been disillusioning for me um, just visiting that space. Yeah, and for our listeners outside of Minneapolis, there are still a lot of places in Minneapolis that are boarded up from rioting that happened in, in August, um, and it's October now. So um, crime still, um, crime still rising, places boarded up, um, you know, places that had been burned down still gone. So it's, uh, we definitely still have um, wounds in the city. Okay. Um, 
let's transition into uh, directly into the to the workplace here. So um, I think what we wanted to talk about is is some of the the behaviors that we kind of automatically do, some of our own um, biases and and ways that we categorize or classify ourselves that show up in the way we act at work. So I'm going to um, turn it to Bruce to sort of introduce this topic. And yeah, I, I think that's a, I think, yeah, um, I think our, the topic we're talking about today is a good segue from kind of um, Ryan's points about race relations in this country, particularly about kind of how we politicize and just group others and ourselves into different camps based on like snap judgments or really trying to find this path of least resistance. It goes by a lot of terms what I'm talking about, but the term I'd like to use today is self-selection, where we really go into a new workplace and we see, okay, there are a bunch of people here. Um, they're all very similar to each other or they're all very different. And we start to think about, okay, what place do I have on this team? But we never stop to think about, okay, what unconscious biases are going into my decision to choose this place on a team? And then on the flip side, for that group of people who are bringing in a newcomer, bringing in someone who is like new to the company, new to the project, new to the client, in my case, as a consultant, and deciding, okay, where do you fit? And oftentimes, I mean, this is anecdotally that I see both in my experiences as a consultant and at my startup where certain people are put into certain roles. If you're, for example, East Asian or South Asian, I feel I see a lot of people get pushed into pursuing more technical roles or roles that are focused on engineering technologies. I see people who are, um, uh, who the, I see more women who are pushed to more HR related roles or marketing roles that are more kind of driven by emotional intelligence and EQ skills. But those are just my observations. And for me personally, I've been pushed into be taking on more of a leadership role and a front and center role because of the whole African-American articulate, make him talk, makes us all feel good for whatever reason or something like that. And I am a more withdrawn person and I'm introverted and I like to uh, work in the background, but I end up in situations like that. Um, so I, I guess I really wanted to talk about self-selection um, in that sense and really get different folks' opinions and experiences on that and uh, vibe a little, because I think this affects everyone in a very unconscious, subconscious, conscious way. It, it does. It, it resonates a lot. Um, as a woman in the workplace, I can't tell you how many times someone will say, who's going to take notes? And everybody looks at me. And I have gotten to the point where I'll just sit there like I didn't hear the question, <laughs> because I'm not going to take notes again, just because I'm a woman. So I just wait, I just wait. Somebody picks it up. But how many times they look at me is just insane. Ellie, I would say, and I'm, I'm gonna confess here, something I have learned my way through, but when I was young in my career, and in that same moment, and I've been in that moment, who's gonna take notes? Which by the way, if you've seen my handwriting, is a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> but I, I would, in my early in my career, I would cave in those moments if I'm really honest with myself. Me too. And I, I would self-select in. Me too. Um, and it, it has taken years of practice and 
discipline. Um, and then I, and then, you know, as a watch out now, you know, farther on in my career leading people, how do we create the conditions as leaders that we're not letting people self-select in um, or not accidentally, you know, doing that to the people around us. But I, I can't believe that I raised my hand to take notes because I was the token female in the room, but it's real. It's real. <laughs> I still squirm. It happened to me two days ago and it took a long time for somebody to step up. And I, I was very squirmy because it was hard to just sit there. I know that pales in comparison to some of the experiences that you've had, Bruce, but um, but it's relatable. I, I would, no, I, I would actually push back on that. I, I would say that one of the things that is like, I think an unconscious bias that actually benefits African-Americans or at least has benefited me is there is this, and you, I've seen it on mass now and others, but this idea of good trouble where there is kind of this unconscious bias that if a black man and particularly a black woman, or at least in my experience in different workplaces, don't like the role or the position they're put into, they'll be vocal about it. So in situations, I feel sometimes like people feel like they have to over manage me or over consult me about like what role I should have on the team because they're afraid there might be some kind of particular outburst. And I don't know, I guess I'm kind of thinking about from the um, from experience, I'm curious, Ryan, kind of what your experience with self-selection is and if it falls into one of those camps. Yeah, you know, I, as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm sitting here and kind of like thinking through and thinking, gosh, have I self-selected unknowingly? <laughs> um, have I... Uh, I tend to be outgoing and I think that um, there are uh, times as um, a, an outgoing um, trying to be funny um, gay man where I think that um, I get typecast um, mm. into kind of different parts like Ryan say something funny. Um, but outside of that, I'm thinking like, have I typecast myself? So that that's a question for, for you guys. When do you, or how do you feel like you can identify when you are typecasting yourself? And some of those um, examples are, seem to be maybe more obvious, right? Like everybody in the room looking at the one woman in the group to take notes, like, that's pretty obvious sexism to maybe most of us, or, or it would feel obvious to me. But when it's less obvious, how do you identify that you're doing that? Because that is something that could really hold you back in a career type setting. I'll, I, I think that's a good question. I'll, I'll offer one example. Um, we have been encouraged a lot lately in my workplace to sort of that phrase, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I was just thinking to myself is, is one answer to your question. Like if I'm uncomfortable, is that a cue that I maybe not typecasting myself? 
Um, I'm sort of challenging that though, uh, because the more practice you get, you know, um, the more comfortable you get. And, and so that may not always work. Um, but one cue for me anyway, that I'm, that I am doing that is if I am, um, how do I say, if I'm holding back at work because of some perceived power structures, hierarchy, um, that's probably a, that's a cue for me. Or if I see someone on my team who I know I've already met with them and they've got a strong point of view on the work and they're holding their tongue, um, you know, there are elements, there's like this invisible structure that we all live inside, inside work um, that causes us to get braver or go cold at various moments. Um, but that would probably be a cue for me if I was holding back, if I saw someone holding back. It's, I don't know what you guys think. It's such an important question because how do you differentiate between filling a role on a team because you want to contribute really meaningfully to that team and to that work? And, you know, how do you balance? I personally can't handle being uncomfortable 100% of my job. I need, I need a balance where some of the work I'm doing, I know I can just crush it and be great at. And then I'm willing to, to get in over my head on, on other things as long as I have that balance so I'm not just completely drowning all the time. So how do you, how do you decide? Um, how do you decide when to, to let yourself be uncomfortable and, and when to just shine and, and play to your strength? I think it's interesting that you bring up the balance because I think that's a great way to look at it. And I think with work isn't static. We don't do the same thing every day, or at least most jobs you don't in my mind. And even if it's like you have a task that you do every day, there's minor variations. And if you're doing it with like a group or anything, in that sense, there are different ways of getting the work done and dividing and conquering, if you will. Um, I guess for me, it doesn't become apparent like in the moment, but it does after a while if I'm doing the same kind of role because I'm a consultant, so I'm on different teams. But if I feel that kind of stagnation of like, hang on, I've been doing the same type of role over and over and over um, because maybe I'm good at this role, but it's like when I'm doing it, I, I don't feel excited about it. I don't feel compelled to do it. And sometimes for me, it's like, what helps me is that misalignment when I'm not excited about the role, but other people are excited that I'm doing the role <laughs> because it just feels like that whole, like, why are you so enamored with me doing this? And it's just like, it's amazing. And I think that's a good time to have a conversation and say like, wait a minute, we, we need to talk about that. Like you can't keep throwing me into this situation or asking me to do this particular type of work because you get a kick out of it. Um, I need to be more well-rounded and I wanna grow in these ways and use these whole other skills that I have. And I think it, it's hard to have that conversation because it does create an uncomfortable environment. And I think the hardest thing about, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable is it's not really, I mean, unless you're a dick, you, you don't really like making other people uncomfortable, like, like, like without like some kind of purpose that's like, ah, oh, we're going to get better. But you don't really like going in and being like, hey, I want to argue or well, I use 
but hey, I want to discuss this thing about how you treat me and I have a problem with it. Like people don't seek that. So I think that's what makes it challenging, but I still feel like it's that feeling of stagnation and that feeling of just being like boxed in when you know that it's like, okay, this is what I need for myself to really thrive in this situation. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that about the uncomfortable being uncomfortable because I have found it to be a difficult compass. Mm. I mean, what I, one question I have for you guys is as I think about self-selection, you know, we're, we're, we're already at the age where we're working and have been working for a while. Right. But this mm. self-selection starts way, way sooner. Oh. Um, and, you know, gosh, you know, the kind of upstream us as, as individuals in school and as young people, self-selection is very real there and in an environment where you don't necessarily have a voice because you're a student, um, for example. Um, but I didn't know if you guys could, you know, trace or had examples of self-selection early on that you feel like are showing up now. I think school is actually a, a really good example. Um, mm -hmm. And I think of uh, grad school specifically um, in, you know, MBA world where everything is a group project mm -hmm. and self-selection happens really, really easily. And it's encouraged mm -hmm. <laughs> in group projects. And um, it's, it, school has a, a different kind of end result with each project than like a project in the workplace does. Um, and so usually students come together, we've got this group, we're all in the group. Great, who's gonna handle the um, presentation part of it? Who's gonna handle the quant? Who's gonna handle whatever? And then everybody's like, these are the things that I'm really good at because those are the things they can be super proficient at, right? They can move really, really quickly. Um, and it, like, as I think through that, like um, quant has never been my, um, my strength. <laughs> so my hand never went up for that one, um, <laughs> but presentation um, has, and that is exactly then what I do um, in the workplace. And then to, to what Bruce said um, about, you know, the desire, especially in the workplace and in your career, when you think of it really holistically to be well-rounded, mm. um, that is a place where, um, you know, I, I should challenge myself to be a little more uncomfortable when I can in some of those group settings, um, but it's hard. I wonder if, I wonder if there's a way, because I, I think the, the way through this challenge is to, mm. for everybody to use their out loud voices, right? <laughs> not just not just make assumptions and not just, you know, let yourself be put into a role even though you have doubts about it, but for everybody, both the person that that is being, you know, assigned into a role and mm. everybody around them to have a conversation as a project starts to say, you know, what do you want to learn here? What do you, you know, we have this project, we have this time together. What does everybody want to get out of it? What what do you want to learn? And then talk about roles from that angle. And that way it gives everybody a chance to, to figure out what role they should play. Because 
Ryan, maybe you need to do quant more. Maybe you need to to have somebody help you sign up for that and feel confident about it <laughs> so that you don't have to say, I'm not the person that does quant. Because mm. I've had a lot of that um, in in my work where, you know, I wouldn't sign up to be the, the storyteller or the presenter. Um, but that meant that I never, that meant that somebody amazing did it, but it also meant that I never became, never had opportunities to become amazing at it. I think, I think that's a really good point of having that kind of conversation about like, like kind of that open negotiation. And it's like, okay, why are we here? What do we want to get out of this situation? And what I love, and I love the school example, because I didn't realize I went to school overseas, so I had the luxury of changing schools every three years. So there was never really a sense of like, oh, this is your role in the school because you're always dropped into a new group of people who would just be like, oh, all right, this is new. Why do you act weird and stuff? And I think we have a tendency to like be really hostile to people who just ask questions where they kind of like make observations where it's like, why do you do that? Or why are we doing it this way? Which is why I really love diverse work environments because so many of like, so much of self-selection is culturally ingrained where I feel like a lot of the time where we, we basically typecast ourselves into a role is because like our parents did it or our neighbors did it or our other classmates did it. And that was just normal for us. So that when you start putting people in there who come from different backgrounds, they kind of see it and then they say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I've seen it a lot in Minnesota vicariously through how a lot of um, my female colleagues who are transplants from the East Coast come to Minnesota and interact with um, people who've like grown up here and seeing how just that interaction always has this kind of like initial like skepticism and then kind of like, okay, I like what you're doing. It's cool. This is another way we could do things. Let's get tea or a coffee, maybe a beer. And then from that, you really see just kind of this like oscillation of like, oh, we can do things differently. And then it ultimately like, and all of that is just like a really organic conversation of, okay, why do we do what we do? And does doing what we do make us successful and more importantly, make us as individuals happy? And I think it's hard when it's like you go into a group where everybody's like, oh yeah, we, we play golf um, every summer. We drink beer every Thursday and we all wear plaid shirts every, <laughs> every day and have done that. I can't remember that it's like, it's so hard to be in those environments and say like, why am I in this role? And they're like, you've always been in this role. <laughs> it's like, it's, they're not, it's not even like a receptiveness to it. Welcome to robot you know, land. <laughs> it's, yeah, robot. That's exactly what it is because it's like, you just do what you were programmed to do and no one ever asked the robot. Um, would you like to defy your programming? Does not compute. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but I just know it's great. a particular situation. Okay, so as we wrap up this conversation, mm. uh, I'd like to ask everybody, what's the, what do you want to take away from this? What did, what did you pick up that you're going to go try at work? Quant. <laughs> 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 I, 
He's going to do it. That's some powerful Uh-oh. conception right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but trying, uh, I don't know how applicable quant is in my current, um, in my current role, but, um, but trying to find things that um, I want to make myself better at and uh, finding those um, spaces where, where we can not only do that for ourselves, but also help other people. And maybe that's the start of the conversation instead of in a, you know, that kind of kickoff conversation in the project, instead of what does everybody want to do or what is everybody good at? Maybe it's, what do you want to be good at that you're not good at yet? Or what do you want more exposure doing Mm -hmm. that you would want to take on to help yourself grow? And I think that not all workplaces are probably safe for that kind of conversation. I think mine is. Um, So I think that that could be a a start. Nice, that's great. Well said, Ryan. I'm gonna go with what Ryan said. That's, That's brilliant. (laughs) you're not going to add to it or modify it no i'm going to plagiarize it (laughs) i i'll I'll cover eileen because ellie i think you brought up a really great like tactic to use which is just like let's have a conversation as a group about it particularly at like the start of a project before we get into it and just make that um a requisite because I, i feel like in, in the workplace, we we kind of forget about consent a lot of the time. And I think that's a really good <laughs> way to rally the team and affirm that we all consent to be here. We consent to play the roles that we're, that we're given or we change it up based on like who we want to be in this, who we want to be in this project. I think it, in the short term, it kind of like, I can imagine some listeners being like, this is a scary thing to implement. And I have no idea what would happen, but I think in the long term, it really it gets people to be more transparent with each other, which I think would build stronger teams. Yeah, our colleagues that are listening to this, Bruce, are probably like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be another. Gonna be like, this is gonna be another inclusion and diversity talk. I, I hope I don't get assigned <laughs> to work with Ellie and Bruce anytime soon. <laughs> um, no, I think I think what I'm going to work on as I go back to work and think about this conversation is to to help bring some intentionality to it and try to sniff out when those those out loud conversations aren't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, even for projects that are mid-flight, I think if cuz you know, we have some projects where we've been work we have a team that's been working on something for a year. Um, so going in and and shaking things up and starting some conversations about roles and accountabilities. Mm. Cool. Well, this was a really insightful conversation. Um, Thank you, Ryan and Bruce. Uh, Thank you, Aileen. Um, this This was really fun and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for coming on the show today. Bye everybody. Uh, thanks for coming. Bye.